You are listening to the teaching series from Jubilee Church entitled, Walk. This six-week series through the book of Jude looks at seven pursuits vital to the Christian's life and forward progress in their faith. If you would like more information about Jubilee Church, please visit our website at jubileestl.org. As Brian said, I'm going to be talking out of Jude, just continuing on in this series that we have. And where I'm actually going to be talking out of specifically is where Jude says, keep yourselves in the love of God. Now, love is one of these things that we've all experienced in some way, shape, or form, whether it's from your grandma or your parents, maybe your siblings, if you um, are one of those types, maybe from your dog or your cat. Um, love's really where you find it there. And one thing about love is that all of us love being loved, if I can say it that way. We have this earnest desire to be loved by someone else. And when we are, we feel like something's been satisfied within us. But oftentimes we don't end up contending for that love in our lives. As, um, as Jude says, keep yourselves in the love of God. We end up not doing that because most of us don't have a clue what love is. As a matter of fact, as I was preparing this sermon, I was just thinking about my own life, thinking about um, what love is meant to me. And I remembered a time when I was a boy, the first time I ever went to tell a girl that I loved her. And I was a young boy, and I was thinking, well, I think I love her, and I'm pretty sure I like her at least quite a bit. So I'll just go out on a whim and say the big I love you word. So I mustered up the courage, you know, went over to her, was kind of shaken and nervous, and got the boldness to say, I love you. And of course, you know, she said back, Dylan, you don't have a clue what love is. <laughs> you kidding me? I mean, I have some sort of a clue what love But anyway, my point is, most of us don't really have a clue what love is. We, we go on knowing that we want this thing, but we're not really sure what it is. You look back at the cavemen throughout all, all the centuries to come, to the 60s, to the 80s, to the 90s, to us, and we all have this thing called love that we want, but we're not really sure where to find it. We're not really sure how to find it. I mean, the Beatles, they sang, all I need is love. All I need is love. Paul, the writer to the Corinthian church, the church in Corinth, if you're, if you're new to your Bible, just to say the Bible is one book made up of a lot of smaller books, and the book to the church in Corinth um, is a book that he wrote to this church just trying to encourage them and bring them back to relationship with God. If you're not very familiar with where they were at, they, let me just give you kind of the framework of what they looked like. They were people who got drunk at their prayer meetings. They had orgies. Um, a guy in their church was sleeping with his mother-in-law, so they were, they were really put together, a really good church, really want to no, they were, they were a really messed up church, and what has happened is that they've taken this thing called love, this work that God was doing in them, and they brought it into themselves. And what Paul said to them was, there's faith, there's hope, and there's love. These three abide, but the greatest of these is love. Look at Gandhi. He says, where there is love, there's life. Mother Teresa, Muhammad, and Jesus all commanded that we love and yet, throughout the centuries, most people have asked the question, what, what is love? How do I find out what love is? So, I did what all smart people do when they want to find a good answer. I looked on Google, right? No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. 
I looked in my Bible and I went to that book, 1 Corinthians, where Paul's talking to them. And in chapter 13, he lays out, guys, this is what love really is. Let me read it to you. He says, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It doesn't rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things. It endures all things. Love never ends. So what do we learn from Paul? We learn that love isn't just a feeling. It's not just an emotion we have, but it's an action as well. Actually, just like he was saying to the Corinthians, if love's just a feeling, then really it's just about what you get out of the deal. But it's an action as well. He's saying love is something we do for one another. Love is something God does for us. I mean, when I made a vow to love my wife, Rebecca, she's my wife, love her to death. When I made a vow to love her until the day that I died, I not only made a vow to have more feelings of of love and emotion for her than any other woman, but I also made a vow to treat and relate to her in a loving way the rest of our lives. C.S. Lewis says it like this, Do not waste your time bothering whether you love your neighbor. Act as if you did. As soon as we do this, we find one of the great secrets. When you're behaving as if you love someone, you'll presently come to love him. So we've learned this from Paul and C.S. Lewis, that love is an emotion. Love is something that we feel. It's an intensity of desire that we long for and can be satisfied. But it's also something we do, something that we make a decision upon, no matter how our feelings are standing in the moment. In John 15, 13, we find maybe the best description in the Bible of love, not because of its great words or the all things that Paul talked about, but actually because in its, in its own verse, it says this is the greatest form. Let me read it to you. Jesus declares, greater love has no one than this, that someone lays down his life for his friends. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lays down his life for his friends. In the movie world, this is called heroic sacrifice. It means that someone becomes a hero by sacrificing their life for the sake of another. In case you didn't know, heroic sacrifice is actually the number one form of movie genre in America today. So why is that, why is that important? What does that tell us? Well, it tells us that in our culture today, including you and I, the thing that we're hanging off our seats to see, the thing that we're hanging off our seats to hope that it maybe is true is that someone would give up their life for the sake of another. That someone would actually believe that someone else's life is, is valuable enough to give up their own for. And so when we watch these movies, when we watch Gladiator, when we watch these heroic, sacrificial movies, what happens to us? What happens to you? Inside of us, something begins to stir. Inside of us, something begins in our hearts to say, yeah, that's right. Absolutely, that is right. That's why when us guys watch these movies about the guys who just take on the world, 
with their incredible courage because of the love they have for someone, we say, yeah, hoorah, that's right. Because this is something that God has put within our hearts, that love is a sacrifice for the sake of another. But the reality is most of us fall short of that. I know for me this is one of the biggest struggles in my life is I know that I want to love like that, but oftentimes I end up choosing myself. There's a movie really popular, came out about 10 years ago, it's called Pay It Forward. A lot of you have probably heard of it, it went throughout a lot of different schools and families because, of, because it has this great moral vibe to it of this kind of sacrificial hero. And I'll kind of lay out the plot of the movie for you. It goes like this. This young boy who lives with his single mom who is a drunk because his dad kind of left a while ago and she's struggling through some hurts and some pains. This young boy is getting geared up to go back to school for the fall. And he, he gets into his history class and he's got a new history teacher that semester. And um, the history teacher sits the class down. And he says, guys, look, I want you to know you can make a difference in the world today. So I'm going to give you this project. I want you to go home and think about one thing you could come up with, one thing you could do that would actually change the world if you did it. So this little boy, kind of the, you know, the hero of the movie, goes home and he's racking his brain. What do I do? What do I do? And he comes up with this, that he's going to find three people who have a need in their life that, that they can't satisfy on their own, that they can't do by themselves, and he's going to do that thing for those three people, with the stipulation being this, that if it changes their life, they then have to do it to three others. And so it's kind of this domino effect that's going to change the world from this little boy's perspective. And so he picks his three people, he does this good deed to them, and things kind of look up, and then, you know, that big dip happens where their life goes back to where it normally was, and he feels like, my project's failed, this stinks, but really behind the scenes, as you're watching the movie, you can see it's working. These people's lives are being changed, and it actually begins to spread throughout the nation that people are being helped by what this young boy did. And this news reporter finds out about it, kind of tracks the lineage of what, what this boy has done. He finds this boy, and he just thinks, you little boy, like, how did you do this? How did you come up with this? And the boy says, I just I wanted to help people. His heart was breaking for people like his mom that had this awful life. And just when you think he couldn't be more of a hero in the movie. The interview's over, and he ride, begins to ride his bike home, and he sees a friend of his just alone and, and scared, and he looks over, and there's bullies closing in on his friend. These three guys just closing in on him, getting ready to beat the tart out of him. And so he rides his bike into the middle of these bullies and his friend, and he stands to defend his friend. And as he does, one of these bullies stabs him, taking his life. And his mom and the, the interviewer see it happen. And it's just like, oh, this is a mess. But actually, his friend lived at the price of his life. Let me, let me say this. You and I were just like that friend. We were alone we were scared. Our enemies of Satan, sin, and death were closing in on us. And Jesus came into our rescue. The Bible says in Romans, so Paul who wrote the book of Corinthians also wrote to people in a church in Rome. And he said, the wages of sin is death. That you and I, who have all sinned and fallen short of God's standard, 
of a life for him, that, that our wages, our reward is death, that we deserve to be the ones who are punished for our sin. But yet Jesus, in his love and mercy for us, took our sin upon himself. And the Bible says that he who knew no sin became sin on our behalf. The Bible says that when we put our faith in him, when we put our trust in him, all the sin that has marred us and made us filthy, like filthy rags just needing to be thrown away, that he makes us clean, that he makes us new, that actually this wall that stood between us and God, Jesus broke down on the cross so that nothing would ever again separate us from the love of God. When you read about Jesus' death, you see that Actually, it's amazing that God, who created the heavens and the earth, that God who spoke everything into existence, that God who upholds the universe by his word of power, put on flesh and became a man like us. That even the cells in our body are held together because he says it should be so. And if in a moment he were to say, it is no longer we would all just disintegrate like dust. The one who has that power put on flesh to be like us so that he could take our sin on the cross, so that he could be spit, so that he could be mocked at, so that you and I would never have to know the disgrace of our sin. Now that is love. That is the greatest love the world will ever see. That is the greatest love you and I could ever know. The love of God is the greatest love we could ever experience. I just want to encourage you today, if you have yet to receive this love that God has for you, I think today could be the day that for the first time in your life, you come to Jesus and you say, Jesus, I want to know this great love that you have for me. Please make me clean. Please give me relationship with you. And the Bible says that when you call on him, you you will be saved and you will know this love. just want to encourage you today. If you've yet to do that in your life, if you've yet to come to him, today could be that day. Remember when I first became a Christian, I was new to church and I was I'm just getting started with the whole church thing. I was still kind of living this double life. I was living this life outside of church, and then I was coming to church and kind of experiencing, beginning to experience God's love for me. And I remember one day a buddy of mine found a credit card, and um, we used to kind of steal together and do some bad things like that together. And he found a credit card. We decided, you know what, we're going to go buy all these supplements to kind of, you know, beef us up. You know, us guys, we wanted to get beefed up, so... We went and bought a bunch of supplements um, at the store and actually ended up filling our trunk with these different workout supplements that we'd always wanted to have. And it's kind of one of those, like, greatest and worst moments of your life. You know what I mean? Like, I, I'd always wanted to have these things. I'd always wanted to be this big buff guy, and I thought this was kind of my in to get it. And, but at the same time, I kind of felt this feeling of, this is really wrong, and it doesn't seem right, and I, I, I don't know what would happen if I got caught. I don't know what would happen if I saw this guy face to face, like how I would feel about myself. And anyway, I, we loaded our trunks up. I, I'm driving home, and I pull up in front of my dad's house, and when I 
threw my car in park, I just lost it. I actually just began to bawl my eyes out like a little baby because I, I in that moment, realized that I had absolutely hated the person I'd become. And I had hated the life that I began to live. I mean, you look at sin, and it just promises so much, doesn't it? It promises us, this is going to satisfy you. This is really going to make you happy. But then it, it always falls short. And I remember I, I didn't know what to do, so I called my sister, who had become a Christian, about a year before that. And I just said, look, this is everything I did. This is what I'm feeling. I don't know what to do. And as I'm sitting in my car, it was literally like God spoke through my sister. And I, I to this day, remember the words that she said. She said, Dylan, Jesus has already died to forgive you, but now he has a new life for you today. As Paul said in Romans, it was his kindness that led me to repentance. In that moment, I, I just lost it because when I came to God with my sin, when I came to God in my filthiest, lowest moment, he didn't give me judgment and wrath, but he gave me the love of his son. He gave me the acceptance of his son. And because of that, I didn't want to sin again. You get it? Because of that, I didn't want to go back to what I was doing. Because his love, it was like it was better than life itself. On that day, I discovered one of life's greatest secrets. As C.S. Lewis said it in his book, The Weight of Glory... It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We're half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition, when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum, because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. Let me ask you this today. Are you living and playing in mud pies? Are you living and playing in the love of God? Because the love of God is so much greater than these mud pies of sin could ever be. You may say that sounds amazing, but it's so easy to forget when I get back home. It's so easy to forget when I get back into kind of my daily rut of what I do. It's so easy to forget when my life is staring at me and it's a mess. My wife and I, we've been kind of battling through a sickness for the past year, and we've definitely asked that question of, God, if you're good, why are you doing this? God, if, if you love us, why do we have to go through this? It's kind of like A plus B. It doesn't equal C. God, what's going on? And you may be asking yourself, That question. You may have asked yourself that question in the past. And what we really need in the moment of those questions, what we really need in the moment of our distress, isn't for someone to come along and say, Hey, man, pull up the bootstraps. You're a Christian. Come on, pull up the bootstraps. You can push through. You're a Christian, right? I mean, life's supposed to be good for you. But actually, what we need in that moment is for someone to come alongside us who understands our weaknesses and our struggles, who understands the fears we're having, and who still points us to, He loves you. Who still points us back to, the love of God will never fail you. 
The love of God will never leave you. That's why community is so important in a church. Is because we all face these things that we really can't do on our own, that we can't defeat on our own. But we need people who love us to come alongside us and help us. That's why it's so important to get in our Bibles and see the truth of his love. And also it's important that we come to him who can help us and ask him to give us help in our time of need. The Bible says Jesus is like a great high priest who sympathizes with us in our weaknesses. He's not distant and far off where he can't understand, but man, he was, he was punished on a cross. His own friends betrayed him. He was homeless for most of his life. I mean, he, the guy had some hard stuff going. He understands our weaknesses, and he, he sympathizes with us, but he does more than just that. The Bible says that we're like sheep. We kind of get led astray. My wife and I were talking about what are sheep like. They're white. They're fluffy. They're kind of cute. I know for me as a guy, I just want to tackle them when I see them. It's like, <laughs> what would happen if I just laid into one, you know? Uh, anyway, they're also kind of ignorant, if you didn't know that. Sheep, if you leave them by themselves, will kind of just... Bah, all the way, you know, to the North Pole. They'll just walk wherever they want to walk, and they really need a shepherd to help them go the right direction. And in John 14, it's clear that Jesus was aware that we needed a helper to make us go in the right direction, to help us walk in the paths of the love of God. It's, it's clear that when he went back to heaven, he wasn't saying, all right, boys, I've told you everything you need to know. Write it down, pass it on to the next generation, and hopefully they figure it out. But it's clear that he was like, whew, man, my guys." These guys deny me like the moment I go up. I mean, they need a helper for sure. And he assured them, I'm not going to leave you alone, but I'm going to send you a helper. John 14, 16, Jesus said, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. In the last moments of his life, Jesus made us a promise. He promised to send us his spirit. Now, why did he promise us that? What was the Spirit going to do for us? The Spirit, as it says in verse 26, is going to bring us back to the love of God. Ephesians 1, 13 through 14, Paul says, When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. Remember when I was a kid, my dad would oftentimes tell me that he loved me. He would oftentimes kind of walk by or we're sitting on the couch, he'd, hey, I love you, son. It's really important to me as a kid that he would tell me that. But sometimes as a, as a young boy, I, I needed more than just my dad to tell me he loved me. I needed an expression of really feeling his love for me. Sometimes my dad would just walk up to me and stick his big, my dad's a buff guy, he would just stick his big arms around me and kind of squeeze the life out of me. He'd look me in the eye and say, Dylan, I love you. Sometimes after he'd spank me because I did something wrong, he'd come back and look me in the eye and say, son, I want you to know I love you. You, you having this hard moment doesn't change that I love you. I did that because I love you. The same way, guys, I mean, we may be... 20, 30, 60, 80 years old, kind of have our life all figured out, everything's in place, we still need 
God through the Holy Spirit to wrap his big arms around us, look us in the eyes and say, I love you. You're not alone right now. I love you. Look back at what Jesus did for you. He loves you. Guys, we still need that. You know, my wife, she has to ask me to do this all the time. I'm like walking by the house. I'm doing all my stuff. And sometimes she'll stop me, Dylan. Hey, just tell me how you feel about me. Tell me that you love me. Does she do that because she forgets? Oh, I just forgot if you love me or not. Could you just rem- No, she's not doing that. She's doing it because she needs that, that, that continual assurance that what she knows, that she knows, that she knows it's true that I love her. Same way, we, we, we cannot settle for a life of just walking around. Yeah, I know he loves me. I'm busy with my work. I know he loves me. I'm doing stuff over here. We, we, guys, we have the privilege of a lifetime that God himself would send his spirit to live in our hearts to continually assure us, as Ephesians said, guarantee us of our salvation. That we wouldn't ever live a moment outside of I wonder if he does, but that in those moments, he would speak into our hearts. Yes, he does. I know that I know that I know that I know that God loves me without a shadow of a doubt. I have cancer. Not, not me, I'm just saying. You imagine someone who has cancer. There's a pastor in South Africa, PJ Smythe. He's been with us before. And one of the most amazing things about his testimony is that he can say in the worst moments of his cancer, I knew that I knew that I knew that God loved me. That is an absolutely amazing testimony. And you and I have the privilege of living that same kind of life where we ask the Spirit of God to assure us of God's love. I remember the other day I was having a rough day and I just slipped away for 15 minutes and opened my Bible to Isaiah 55 where it says, He was pierced for our transgressions. He, Jesus, was crushed for our iniquities. And as I was praying and kind of just meditating on that, I was reminded of Colossians 1.16 that says everything was made through him and for him. And as I'm praying, I just felt God helping me kind of, not all the way, but definitely get started on getting my mind around this fact that, just like I said earlier, God who made all things, just the creator of the universe, the source of all love of all goodness, of all power, would, would come and be pierced for me. That he would come and his father would crush him for me. And we need, we really need times like that where we can just get away with God real quick. And say, God, light my heart on fire for you. God, remind me again that this is true, that I haven't forgotten it. I'll close with this question. Are you, are you today experiencing the goodness of God's love? Are you living in what Psalms 23 says, the green pastures of his love? Or are you settling for these mud pies? Maybe you're just settling for nothing at all. Just, I just want to encourage you, come back to his love today. I want to invite you back to his love, to the Bible says the king. He is our king of love. I want to invite you back to him. Revelation 3.20. 
Just close with this. Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to eat with him and he with me. Have you get out your communication card?